so the I I had this image in my head of a commercial for your standards of care initiative where it was like nine out of ten doctors agree that you should definitely eat fifteen grams of salt every Welcome to the Living Wild Podcast. My name is Brent Philbin, and today I'm going to be your host on a journey for an interview with Doug Reynolds. Now, Doug is actually the creator of the conference that we just attended, which was the Low Carb USA. We attended it in San Diego. Might not like the weather in San Diego, but we did enjoy seeing and listening to what was happening at this event. Doug comes on the show and talks to us about not only the event itself, but the standards of care initiative that he's running behind it to try and find a way to create consensus in the community of doctors who are working with keto. So if you want to learn how what his struggles are with that, what his struggles may be with the conferences or whatever is coming forward for him, this is the place to be. Doug talks with us for a little over a half hour 45 minutes it's actually a pretty long interview for the living wild podcast and i think you're going to really enjoy it it was it was awesome sitting down with doug so sit back grab a butter coffee and get excited for this episode of the living wild podcast it's starting now all right yeah once again welcome to an interview on the living wild podcast and today we are here with Doug Reynolds. Doug, you came to us because we ended up going to a conference put on by you, and now you've come to a podcast put on by us. So welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. So, uh, no, thank you for coming on and doing a little follow-up. Uh, I, I guess two episodes ago, we talked about how we were in San Diego, and we were at the Low Carb USA conference, and we were there at your behest. You had us as your guest and brought us in to kind of check it out and see what was going on. So it was, we much appreciated that. And having you on as a follow-up was pretty cool. I wanted to just talk to you about your story, where you came from, how you ended up doing conferences, and and then go from there. So how did you get into the low-carb USA conference game? Yeah, long story, but I'll try and keep it quick and short. <laughs> Basically, I started to develop insulin resistance in my older age. I was a a distance athlete out running ultra marathons and stuff like that and wow as i was getting in my later 40s i started to put on a couple of pounds every year that no matter how hard i ran no matter what i did the weight never came off and i got uh, an email about it was actually funnily enough it was about exogenous ketones but the heading of the email was that ketones an alternative source of fuel to glucose and I was just in the right space. I just literally got on the scale a couple of days before and realized that I was 35 pounds over what I considered to be my ideal weight. And it was horrendous. I never even heard of a ketone at that stage. Mm -hmm. And that was... How long ago was this? So that was July 2015. Okay, cool. So four years ago, right? And so I just dove into it. I'm an engineer, right? So I just went into all the all the science. And by the end of three weeks, I realized, hey, dude, I like this explains everything. And so I pulled the trigger on it. I, I just dumped everything and started to learn about it as I was doing it, right? And 
five months later, the 35 pounds was off. The inflammation in my knees had cleared up. My respiratory issues I was having cleared up. It's a bunch of things cleared up. And In five I, months? In five months. Wow. And on, and on top of that, a real huge benefit for me, a side effect, it was you know, I suffered a very severe TBI in my early 20s that resulted in severe issues with short-term memories and stuff like that. And it's not gone away. And I still struggle to find the right words sometimes and stuff like that, but it's vastly improved. And it's it's improved my confidence enough that when I decided eventually to put on this conference, in the beginning I was I was um, thinking about who I could get as the MC, and after a while I thought, you know what, I can do this, and it's happened to me. I've, we've done eleven conferences now, and it's happened to me a couple of times where I've literally been up on the stage and gone completely blank, and kind of explain to the audience kind of why and gone on with it, but I've been okay with it. And that's something that Georgia E talks a lot about with her as she's a psychiatrist and the mental benefits and the, uh, the anxiety benefits and all of those sorts of things that, that she's using this diet to, to help with her patients. And I can see that I would never have even got up on a stage before I started with this lifestyle. So it's been amazing. And that's really what happened. It was the beginning of it, 2016. We were out at a dinner with Pam, my girlfriend Pam, and the people we were with all left and we were talking about keto again. And, and I was pounding my fist and saying, like, there's all these small conferences around, like with the Ansel Keys and the McGovern Commission and the US Dietary Guidelines, we're kind of responsible for this predicament that this whole world is in right now. And yeah. We need to to take some responsibility on and trying to put that right, you know. And what we were doing at the time, the work that we were doing involved us putting on conferences. So I knew how to do that. And I thought, okay, this is something that I can do. And so I just started putting the word out, writing, looking up, literally looking them up on the internet, Gary Taubes. I looked up his website, click contact me, and I wrote to him and, and said, like, if I put on a conference, would you be interested in doing this in San Diego. I wrote to a couple of people. Jimmy Moore wrote back in like 10 minutes. He was incredibly helpful. And a couple of others, Jeff Follick and, and uh, Steve Finney. Steve didn't come in the end. He thought I should... He asked if I had some money to put into uh, some kind of research that he was that he was maybe doing. Um, <laughs> But basically saying like, hey, there's a bunch of these conferences out there, you know, don't you want to rather spend your efforts and your energy and your money somewhere else? And he didn't know that I didn't have any money. So, um, <laughs> so but anyway, uh, you know. You should offer him a percentage of everything you had. Be like, yeah, yeah you but, 10% but you of know, everything. Totally. Subsequently, so you um, owe me money. He, he's been to all at least all the San Diego events we've done since then. But yeah, I mean, I had an amazing response from potential speakers and started putting it together. And literally from in six months, from the from the, pretty much the 1st of February, we established a website, established a social media presence and put the event on at the end of July that year. So it that's was, a really quick turnaround. It was, you know, I wanted to put a thousand people in the room and, and I was disappointed that we only got 350, but... 
350 that's was a lot for a first time right and um people had to talk me off the ledge you know and and make me understand that this was actually pretty pretty awesome what we had done and so we've gone on to put on conferences in san francisco and florida we've done three in florida now fourth one coming up in boca raton now in january mm-hmm. we even did one in we were invited to come and help put on a conference in jakarta in indonesia um, oh. which was an absolutely incredible experience for everyone so, so you not only were invited, you accepted it and were able to get the logistics worked out and still help Correct. put that one on? Yeah, but That's I mean, awesome. that was, there was, a, there was a, a really wealthy businessman there that, that wanted to do this. And so he helped fund it a lot and that helped. But yeah, we took a, a few of our speakers over, Georgia Ede I already mentioned, and uh, Eric Westman and Gary Fetke from Australia. And we all ended up, meeting there and having an incredible experience that uh, I don't think any of us will forget, but it was, yeah, it was amazing. So, yeah, I mean, we've, we've now done 11 conferences in total and uh, sort of planning the next ones now for next year. How many people did low carb USA? Cause it's certainly more than 350 based on what I saw there, because there might've been 350 people in the room at any given time, which means there yeah, were a lot more it, than it that. Wasn't, yeah, maybe around 400. It was a bit down on the best we had was a couple of years before 2017, we had 600, but this year there was a couple of things that happened. Um, Keto Khan moved their conference like way up closer, you know, to about three or four weeks before us. Right, we and were there for we, that. We we had a lot of people write to us and say like they had to make a choice, you know. And suddenly, people that go to a lot of conferences still can't go to like back to back conferences all the time, right? Right, that's a big commitment. Yeah, so we we lost a couple of vendors from that, and so, uh, but also we did a, a bunch of different events, including one in in Seattle in May. And so what we found was, from an organizational point of view, I wasn't tapped out at all. I've, I managed to put all of those together without a problem. But I think promotionally, we just didn't have the bandwidth because we got no money. So it's just everything that Pam and I can do. And, you know, when, you, when you've got a conference like a new one, two months before the San Diego one, it's just, it's really difficult to promote them all at the same time. And so I think that hurt us. We're trying to stay away from doing so many. I think we did six in the last year. So we're trying to get back to doing two or maximum three and seeing if that helps. We've moved it later next year so that it's going to be at the end of August instead. So we get a bit of distance from KetoCon. And I think they've moved theirs two weeks earlier as well. So now there's a nice a nice gap. That's a big buffer, yeah. Yeah. And and also, yeah, from, from now, like focus on promoting this thing. It's a seriously... I want to be up to 800 by next year and 1,000 at the latest by 2021. So that's kind of where we want to go. So let's talk about what sets you apart from somebody who might be organizing another event, the, which is that standards of care initiative that you had brought up to me. That is, so is that basically something that you every one of your speakers needs to be on board with. I didn't Google it or even figure out what that was. So tell me a little bit about that and how that works with your conference. Well, so it's more to do with with us as an organization than the conference itself. It's something that we talk about and promote all the way through the event as much as we can. But it really came out of 
when I was talking to Gary Tarbs about coming back to do the 2018 event, San Diego, and he suggested that we have some kind of feedback session from physicians that were trying to do this in their practice, hear about their successes and especially their challenges and stuff. I know he's he was working on a book that that had something to do with that as well, so it was going to be of interest to him. But it sounded like a great idea to me. And he suggested that I get Adele Height to come and help mediate this thing because he'd been having conversations with her about this already. And she, I, I reached out to her, and so she just she blew my mind. I mean, I asked her to come and mediate this this event, and she sent me this document with like this brain dump of all her ideas and everything, and it it really amounted to trying to establish a standard of care for carbohydrate restriction. And she was at a she was on the jury of a trial, a misconduct trial, but a a, a medical malpractice malpractice trial, right? And so the judge had to explain to the jury what standard of care was. And that's what I was doing earlier. I I brought it up here. And it's, he says, the standard of care is defined as providing health care in accordance with the standards of practice among members of the same healthcare profession with similar training and experience and situated in the same or similar communities at the time the health care is rendered. In other words, standard of care does not come from what is taught in professional training, from public health policy, or even from clinical care guidelines, although these can inform and help define the standard of care. Rather, standard of care comes from what a community of clinicians do in the actual provision of care. Interesting. So it's it's closer to peer review. It's a consensus. So Mm -hmm. it's like, okay, given a particular situation, if we had to poll all the doctors that, that work in this same environment, that have the same training... What would the majority of them agree with, with the way to, to treat this particular situation? That was really interesting. And it made me realize that what we had to do was try and put together a community of doctors and try and establish this consensus. So the first thing that we, that we did was to do something that, that Adele was very keen to do, and that was to write this clinical guidelines document. So we put together a, a panel of advisors with some pretty incredible doctors and, and physicians and, and uh, scientists, including Tim Noakes and Gary, Ta- uh, uh, Gary Fatke and Eric Westman and um, Brett Scher is a cardiologist and just an amazing group of people. And so what she did was she, she wrote this document and then bounced it off this panel until everyone was in agreement that this is this was good enough to publish. And then in May this year, we actually published it. It's on our website. It's available to anybody, any doctor that, that wants to do it and have been approached by um, a few people since then. We've now had it translated into German, Portuguese. We've got Spanish, like literally around the corner, hopefully even by the end of next week. French is pretty close. German and even the Indonesian, I was telling you about it, we were in Indonesia. So the guy there is, is getting some doctors to help him actually translate the document into their, their common language there as well. Oh, awesome. So that's been the thing, I think, since we started this organization that we've been the most proud of was to actually get this done. Because cause now we're creating you know, a Facebook group that all these doctors that can now come and be a part of and to, and discuss these guidelines and 
as they come to a consensus over whether or not this is the right way, that's cool. And if they disagree, then we either document the disagreement or we we update our our you know it's a living document. As we learn more, it it will keep growing. And so what we do at the events is try to to really promote this concept and try and encourage all the doctors to go and take a look at it and and if they're already on board to go and share it with their with their colleagues and stuff because now there is literally a something that's written down that people can can really refer to and we've had an incredible response to that from physicians all over the world Consensus protocols are really interesting to me because one of my my primary podcast that I that I do is a cryptocurrency podcast and all of those are based around a giant group of people coming to a consensus that ends up being how you go forward and right. so this is super interesting to me that I didn't know that this was something that happened in the medical field that they all get together and come up with the consensus model basically of like this is what you're supposed to do most of the time and I feel like that would be different from if a lawmaker had made something and said, you have to tell people that they shouldn't eat cheese or whatever. Correct, so was there yeah. anything that came out of that document where you looked at it and you're like, wow, I never would have thought that all the doctors would have thought that this was the right thing to do. I don't think so. I think by the time we actually got to, to do this, I, um, I had learned enough about everything that nothing that, that Adele came up with was surprised me at all. It it really just captured what most of us that have that are, are really involved in this in this space already knew. And it and what she did an amazing job of was capturing the differences of opinion as well, because there are some things that that a lot of people don't agree on, and so you know where those differences occurred, she would actually document it and say, you know. The, he has two different opinions here and either these are two different options or the reason for this is the fact that there's just not enough data out there right now and this this requires a further clinical trial or something like that to, to actually establish what is the correct answer to this. But at least it's documented the fact that there is the possibility in this particular situation that that you may have two different options and you need to go and look at the data yourself and decide for yourself as a, as a physician what what your course of action would be. Was there anything particularly heated or particularly like almost split down the middle that you can think of off the top of your head that uh, that like, you know, half the doctors think this, half think that, and it was a real important call out in the document that it was both directions? Um, I'm trying nothing in no, no particular situation comes to mind. I know there was a, a quite a a lot of debate about enough salt. I think all of us that are, that have gone on this carb reduced lifestyle of uh, it to some extent have learned over time that we need to to eat more salt. But exactly how much is still out there? And I was surprised actually to um, hear a couple of heated differences of opinion in terms of how important it was in one case one of them was adamant that it has to be you know, at least 15 grams of, of sodium a day or whatever you know and another one just said uh, just just add salt to your food and one guy was saying that that can lead to deficiencies which could lead to all these problems that he cited and you know at the end of the day that all that stands there now is like you you need to to look at the the science out there to determine how much 
salt you and advocate for your patients. So that's an example. Okay. Yeah, I did. I hadn't considered that salt would be one of those would be one of those sticking points. So that's exactly what I was looking now for. I was, that is, so you asked if I was surprised earlier. That now that I come to think of it, that was something that surprised me was that the difference of opinion over that particular issue. Okay. All right. Well, that. So, what is the future plan for this for standards of care initiative? Obviously, it's a living, evolving document or initiative. Is it? Do you see yourself certifying different medical practitioners? going forward as part of this or is so no i don't think certify in this in this sense there's there's not a certification we have joined forces with uh, the nutrition network which is a spin-off of the noakes foundation in order to do actual certification training but in terms of the standard of care what what we really need to do now is obviously keep revising it so we keep learning and keep on top of of make sure that the, the information is current and try and encourage conversations around it because it's the conversations that we can I'm trying to launch this this uh, professional private Facebook group to get all these docs in to have these discussions so that at least it's documented somewhere and then what Adele's wanting to do as well is start creating like addendums for particular uh, conditions so there may okay. be little nuances and stuff like if you're if you're treating someone with diabetes versus someone with trying to prevent a heart condition or you know someone that's trying to treat PCOS or you know if it's if it's for mental health issues like Alzheimer's and stuff like that there's all these different conditions and they, they the number of conditions is growing daily that that we know are can benefit from this way of life but we need to know for each of these conditions, whether there are any special cases or certain things that, you know, maybe the, in a particular situation, a bit more protein might help or that you need to back off on, on the, the amount of fats that you put, you know, whatever. I, just throwing arbitrary things out there. But if there are these differences that we, that we capture that um, for any of these, or any and all of these, eventually all these different conditions and keep getting people we've we've added a, a thing at the end where we actually list all the doctors that support and agree with this document and there's a way on on the website where you can go and and register to to be added to that list and so we've got a database now of on the document we just list the doctor's name and their credentials but in the database we've got where they are based, what their practice is, etc. So that if there was ever some kind of legal situation or whatever, we would be able to pull out this massive database, hopefully eventually, of of all these doctors from all over the world that all agree with what this document says. And as that list grows, we every every few weeks or something, I go in and I and I update the list and the document that's on the website with with the new names that have been added to that. And that in itself will also add to to the weight uh, down the way when you want to start talking about this as a standard of care that that there's so many people and not just one or two uh, voices in the in the wilderness like shouting about this that there's you know around the world there's tons of people that get this and agree with it and I think that will help lend weight to to the argument down the line. So the I, I had this image in my head of a commercial for your 
standards of care initiative where it was like nine out of 10 doctors agree that you should definitely eat 15 grams of salt every day. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know why I saw that, but that's, yeah. uh, that was just what was going through my head. And I think what I like the most about this is the fact that I'm, I, we are not challenging anybody. You know, there, there, there are these Twitter wars going on and stuff about oh, man. plant-based and carnivore and, you know, low carb and not, and 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 some of them get really, really ugly. And I'm trying to stay away from that. And all we're saying here is that we believe that this is a a really legitimate option that people need to consider. And if they are interested in learning about it, or they they understand that this is important, then come and join this conversation and learn from you know look at these guidelines and learn from them and implement them in your practice. But it's an alternative standard of care because it's for, it's for people that don't eat carbs because our metabolisms are different. Everything's different when you, when you mm-hmm. change the way you eat. And so there's so much of what the current standard of care talks about that just does not apply. And we're not saying it's wrong, if, especially if people are eating carbs and doing all of that, then that's, that applies, right? But if you're not eating carbs, there needs to be an alternative. And there needs to be an alternative that, that will back up a physician in making a decision or making a, a, a prognosis or, or making a recommendation to their, to their patients. That they can feel confident that there is this legitimate alternative that, they, that backs them up. The document exists now. That overall consensus doesn't yet. But that's what we are working to try to – that's when I call it the initiative. That's our initiative is to, is to try and uh, encourage these conversations so that this consensus is established over time. Encourage these conversations, not the Twitter battles. No, yeah, <laughs> exactly. And, it's, and it's, about, it's about questions and answers and suggestions and not about egos. And, right. you know, pretty much anybody – that that gets like that, unfortunately, will just get censored because that is just not helpful. Um, they can go, they being... can go to Twitter and have these battles, and some of them are important. You know, I think that there's so much misinformation out there that that people need to be standing up against those guys that are, that, that have a lot of influence but are talking crap. You know, I have my opinions on all of those arguments, but. It's just not helpful for what I'm trying to achieve here. So I try and stay out of those battles and let let other people fight those battles for me. The number of minds that have been changed by a Twitter battle have to be next to nothing. And the number of minds that can be changed over real discussion between professionals in an industry, in the way that you're presenting it, where they're literally saying, I disagree here and here's why. Does anyone else disagree in this spot? Okay, I also agree with the person who disagrees. And you go through that. Now you have a legitimate conversation and something where people actually bother to do the research and they're not just engaging their fight or flight response. And they're just like, what are you talking about? Plants are poison or what are you talking about? Meat is death or whatever the whatever the case happens to be on on Twitter. The dogmatic battles in anything, exactly. not just nutrition, everything that you see in life. Anytime you've got somebody that's just super dogmatic about one thing and is just all in on that it's they're not changing their mind they're not changing anyone else's mind and it's mostly just kind of noise so unfortunately twitter is a we don't use twitter at wild foods uh but it's it's a necessary evil in a lot of 
professions, and especially if you're marketing something. Right. So with a conference, you need to be on Twitter. Right, exactly. And so we put out what we're doing. We don't, uh, you know, say talk about the conferences, promote any podcasts and stuff, videos and stuff that we maybe do, to, you know, to encourage people to come and listen. And, you know, the same thing is... Up until now, I've been fairly lucky. I haven't had too many trolls come in and, and go crazy on it. And I don't even respond to them. You know, I just don't have the time. If they're insistent, then, I, then I'll just actually mute them and, and just be done with it. You know, I, I don't have the time or the energy to, to argue with them. And if they disagree, that's their, that's their right. But just you know, let the people that do agree go on and, and have a better life. That's all I say. Right. So going back to the conference style and kind of moving mm-hmm. on from the standards of care a little bit, what is something that, what is something behind the scenes of making a conference like that that's super difficult that I wouldn't even know to ask you about? Like something that, because I, I don't know how to do a conference. So I, what's a big challenge there that you've run well, into? I think the venue and the negotiations with the hotel about about the venues is probably the thing that's, the hardest and that and that's bitten us the most because people don't understand what's involved with, with that it's it's so basically if you if you want to have an event at a hotel they there's a bunch of meeting space that you want and they're going to charge you a rental for that meeting space but then what they'll do is that they'll say okay the meeting space is forty thousand dollars plus plus right so that's plus in california yeah that's plus 35 percent so if they give you a quote of forty thousand for the meeting space then you're going to add 35 percent onto that actual bill and that the very first year i did it that caught me out huge um yeah that's nothing but, to, but then that's what nothing make, to sneeze at that's lit, but then what they'll give you yes grand. exactly but then what they'll give you is an is, a, is, a, is an alternative and say okay but if you order like we did those meals, you actually enjoyed some of the meals that we worked with the chef. That we that was, yes. that was amazing. We worked with the chef really hard on on doing that. But then what they do is they say, okay, if you spend a minimum of sixty thousand plus plus on food and beverage, then we'll waive the rental on the meeting space. So if you meet that minimum, then if you don't meet that minimum, then you have to pay in the difference. So even if you don't spend that money, you still have to pay it. Then you you want to organize a room block and they give you a, a decent rate on it, but you have to give them a number of rooms that they block. And, you know, you agree on 700 rooms or room nights, okay? And, right. and then you hope that the guys will come to the event and book it, you know? And we had less people this year than we had last year so because of those things we talked about earlier so we didn't fill the room block and we we Are you then on the know, hook for we, that we if had you don't to pay the extra money um for for all those yeah. extra rooms that we were short and you know I've I've stayed out of it and just ignored it when people have made comments about how much the the cost of the event is and stuff but the fact is they have no idea the risk that, that we're putting ourselves at to to put on an event like this. And we have not yet ever made money on an event. So, you know, I, I think it's actually harder for us to 
to hear people complain about it than to actually do it. Especially yeah, when you know I mean, you're not making just any like, money. You know what? Yeah, it just hurts. <laughs> so you you guys are uh, your price point is is significantly lower than a lot of these conferences too. So th- that's surprising that you're getting kind of the blowback on the pricing. Okay there the the meals i would say were expensive but they were they were worth it and where are you ever going to go that has an entire catered dinner with i don't how many options were there right. each night like 10 different things you could eat for I, what what did that cost come out yeah. to be like 90 bucks so or it's, something it's like that for that what we yeah. were charging 85 which was and because whatever they charge us it's all plus plus right so uh, that's plus service right. charge 20 percent service charge plus sales tax that's that's really what it means. But the what we were talking about, the meals. Yes. The meals, okay, $95, okay, yeah, $90, so, $85. So basically the $85 that, that I was charging people per meal was within about a dollar was my cost for those meals. And, right. you know, what people, there's two things people have to remember is that that $85 includes service charge and sales tax. So if they go out for a meal and they see... 30 bucks for a steak or whatever they're going to eat. Plus there's all the other things that come along by the end of it. It's 50 something bucks. Now they've got to add tax and the tip that they're going to pay to the beta. At the end of the day, it's not that much less than 85 bucks anyway. And as hotel Mm -hmm. meals go, it's actually really reasonable. I mean, they've, they have worked with us to provide really good meals at a, for hotel prices at a very decent or reasonable rate. And yeah, I mean, so we don't look, you know, we're just trying to cover our costs on the meals. And in fact, even some of the the smaller events we do where we can accommodate every single attendee at the dinner, then the, the dinner is actually built into the, the ticket price so that they don't pay extra amount for the, for, for the stuff. And yes, it's, our prices are, are lower, but the, the people that make those comments often haven't ever been to a conference or at least not a low-carb conference. And so they don't have any idea. They've got no idea what stuff typically costs. They've got no idea what it costs us to put it on. And so they make these really uneducated comments that are just hurtful. Uh, and, you know, and, but you, we got to try and be have a thicker skin and just ignore it, you know. There's another thing at play there where it when you pay for something you kind of get something more out of it if yeah. that makes any sense like you if you give somebody something for free maybe they don't listen to the talk or whatever but if if they've paid they might be there for every single person Agreed. and really get yeah, they, something the out of it. Skin in the game is a big thing I think. But uh, you know and and one day when we do get a thousand people in the room when we get those kinds of numbers we will actually make some money. But then we'll be able to actually pay people to help promote it and, you know, and do the website for me. So I don't have to do all this stuff. It's just there's so many things that we can do if we could just have the bandwidth to do it. But we've got to start generating some revenues to to be able to do that. And, um, you know, eventually that's that's happening. And there's, there's other sources of revenues that are coming in. Uh, Dry Farm Wines has been a, a great partner of ours and our affiliate stuff from that starts to generate a bit of money now and and there's by the way they're great i i was not ready for that to taste good i assumed it was gonna taste like vinegar 
I, I, I'm straight up. We had a we had a guest on our show. His yeah. name was Anthony Benedettini, he, and I actually think he lives in San Diego. One of my now. favorite guys from there. Yeah, yeah, very, very. Oh, okay, very you know well, Anthony. Yeah. So yeah, he he worked he no. worked with them. I don't think he still does, but he brought the wine with him, and I and he mentioned that it was a keto wine, and I'm like, wait, that doesn't mm. that doesn't make sense to me. Like yeah, that can't happen with that the way wine's made. I know that that doesn't work, and and yeah, he opened it up and we tasted. It. I was like, yeah, this is not- amazing. This is great. So not not that we're saying no, go out and drink a lot of alcohol, but if, you, but exactly, if you're going if you're to going maybe to, then this is a uh, this is a at least a keto friendly way of of uh, of doing it. Yeah, you got you can drink straight liquor, you can drink white claw, or you can drink this wine. Exactly. And it tastes better than either one of them. So yeah, white claw, man, that has been anyway. Not uh, we can't keep <laughs> talking yeah. about alcohol on the show, but. So we're getting kind of closer to the end of the episode here. What I want to do is open up the the floor to you. I may not have asked you a question that you wanted me to ask you or just anything you wanted to let us know about the low carb USA coming up. You said the, there was one in Boca Raton, Florida. It, that That is a beautiful town. I used to live in South Florida, so I can vouch for that town. I, obviously, I had my disagreements with San Diego because we managed to go there on the hottest possible time and there was no ac anywhere although there was ac at the conference but nowhere else yeah no book is the that's the first year we're going there we've we've been in west palm beach for the last three years but weren't that uh happy with the with the hotel uh, this last time and so we've we found another venue for this time uh, i haven't actually been there but from all the pictures and that 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 I'd been sent to try and persuade us that this would be a good venue. Uh, seem it looks like it's a really cool place, and yeah, I mean we've got uh, the thing with the with the Florida event is we often have uh, a couple of new newer speakers at least to our lineup, and it's kind of the vetting vetting venue for them, you know. So we've got Brian Lenskis and Trocolation are both from the Low Carb MD podcast. Those guys are both presenting for the first time uh, there. We've got okay. Ben Asadi, which he's uh, he works with Dan Pompa, and he's also a very, uh, very fast-growing blogger-type guy. Which is just we're bringing him on there to try and see if we can help bolster the numbers that way by reaching out to a different community of people as well. And yeah, Britcher is coming there from uh, from here from San Diego as the cardiologist, and uh, it, there's just a really cool lineup of speakers there, but not. Not as many headliners as we have maybe in San Diego, but always it's a an epiphany always. In fact, uh, Dr. Georgia Ede spoke there a few years ago for the first time. And I mean, she's just completely taken off since then. So much so that she didn't, you know, there's conflicts now that she hasn't even been able to do one of our events for, for the last couple. Sounds well, like that was your you doing. Know, you know, I don't much, want to say that. I think, you know. I think it helped. <laughs> but, you know, she's, she was starting to build a reputation already. But it, it, it did help, yeah. But it's been that, – that's always such a cool event. One of those as well where I mentioned where the dinners – there's only two dinners there because it's a three-day event. But both of those are included in the ticket price. There's – the early bird specials are still 100 bucks off the ticket price. So it's like – Three hundred bucks, two ninety nine or something for the whole three day event, including the two dinners and everything. It's a giveaway, and we'd love to see more people in Florida. We always used to call it the keto getaway, you know. So it was like in January and get all the people in the Midwest and and on the East Coast and stuff with in New York and that can 
can come and have a weekend off from the weather, you know. Yep. It's Jan- yeah, yeah. So it's it was January. In January. Yeah. Um, as long as you get lucky. So there's like one week of the year that it's I cold think it in happened Florida. To us. Then, it so happened to us in West Palm Beach last year, I think. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. so it wasn't so the getaway like we the, promised. You, it, there's one week of yeah. the year that it's hot in San Diego. Yeah. Because I've been on the, I, I remember I, I lived on the beach when I was there, and I went, I went on the beach on Christmas Eve, and started taking pictures of myself like sitting on the beach, and the rest of the world is all in snow and everything, and I'm like, <laughs> so, so that's a, uh, for the most part, the you'll you'll get great weather there, so hopefully, hopefully that works out, and of course, if you're listening, we'll have a link in the show notes if if you want to book this conference and you're living in the area, yeah, and then so. just if you. Uh, you know, um, to go back to the standard of care, if if people want to help us, they can take this. If you're a physician, look at it. If you're not, take it to your doctor. Even if they don't approve of it in the beginning, you never know what you what seed you might have planted if you leave it with them, and and help us to to get this into the hands of as many doctors and physicians and medical practitioners as we can, and just move this needle forward. You know. It feels like an open source project. Like I feel like there should be a GitHub for it, where you can where you can go in and and make version changes to the document. Yeah, the only problem thing. with that is it has to be what I, what we do have on the page. I think at the end, I think it's still there. Is is a place for people to leave comments. So if people have suggestions, and we when you are and we say that if you have a disagreement of with with something in there, or you have a suggestion of what something that might be missing or whatever for for, for the next version, then leave it so there is there is a forum for people to to contribute so it is kind of open source from that i mean most open source places you can't just go and make a change you'll you you submit a change and it'll get uh, there'll be some arbitrage going on before they actually uh, actually put it in um so this is the same thing but anybody's welcome to make a suggestion totally all right awesome so i we always end the show with a few little just quick questions that are kind of you know funny or fun or whatever you want to call them and so we'll we'll i'll ask you those and then we'll we'll call it call it a day so first one is you you mentioned skin in the game i'm wondering if that was a reference to anti-fragile or not anti-fragile i'm sorry what was the uh no it wasn't might have been anti-fragile anyway skin in the game was a that might be a reference to ness and palette but what is your your favorite book that you love to suggest to people when they you know when they you know, come to you and you're like, oh, that you got to read this book. The Art and Science of Low-Carbohydrate Living. Okay, yeah, The Art and Science by, of Low-Carbohydrate uh, Living. Okay, uh, that's... Stephanie, uh, Jeff Farlick, and I think Eric Westman, but I can't remember for sure. But definitely those two. Yeah, no, that's... A, so, that, okay, that, well, that's pretty honestly, big collaboration then. Um, I read that early on when I first started this, and it's got pretty much all the information you need. It really is. If you want one book, that's pretty much got it all in that i'd i'd recommend that one all right what is your favorite thing on netflix right now um the magic pill the magic yes. pill it's is that a documentary about, it's done by uh, the uh, celebrity chef pete evans in australia and it's about this whole low carb high fat lifestyle thing and and but specifically looking at, at effectiveness with for kids with autism and stuff like that, it's it's a it's a very cool documentary. Oh, cool! Yeah, I, there, one of the talks was focusing on that. Was that was that the same person? I I remember somebody gave a talk specifically oh, no, no, about that was, kids that was, with um, autism and low Rob carb. Cyrus. He's like he's like one of my favorite. Ah, yeah, that's right. Favorite presenters 
of of all. Yeah, yeah that was that was a great talk. Guy. But yeah, that would have been cool if it was both. All right. So, what's the best thing you've ever bought that costs less than a hundred dollars? Huh. <laughs> um. <laughs> holy moly! I I I don't know. It could. I, I can give you some ideas. It could be a. It could be a book. It could be like for for me. I feel like Calendly is mine, where it's uh, that's the way you book the podcast. Uh, okay. It's this. It's like six dollars a month. And yeah, I mean, I wasn't thinking in terms of that. I'm not losing. I can't even remember set more or something's the the calendar that I use. But I hate. I always use the free stuff and just tolerate the the adverts and stuff in it and all of that, you know. And they had an upgrade for twenty five bucks to sync it with my with my Google Calendar, and I've been I've been going backwards and forwards and trying to keep the two in sync. And and I paid the twenty five bucks the other day to sync it, and that that is the best thing I've done for a long, long time. <laughs> yeah, I the the calendar oh, integration, man, it, it's it's, it's really yeah, that's been awesome. Makes <laughs> things so much easier. All right, all right. So the then final question would be: What is the best gift you remember giving to somebody, or favorite gift? I guess. I don't know, man. I, this is supposed to be a quick question. It's not working. It's yeah, all right. I can so, edit out all the dead space. Um, <laughs> the best. I don't know. I can't think of anything, man. Um, I've always got this give and take relationship with gifts because cash yeah. is the most effective gift because then people can buy whatever they want. But then there's these there's random things. So if I was answering this question, it would be a GoPro. Uh, I, that tends to be uh-huh. my wedding present for people because it's this thing that once you have it, you're going to use it. You're going to love it and you're going to enjoy it. But for the most part, people are not going to buy it on their own because it seems like it's a waste of money. Yeah. Uh, That's right. Hang on. I got, yeah, I got a couple more. I got I'll, I'll ask you a different one. Uh, what's the, what's your favorite city that you've traveled to? We may have even already covered that earlier in the episode. Yeah, um, so like I've been to a lot of places and you know what? The city that I enjoyed the most was Seoul, Korea. I I, I got to, I had I to work there, there for yet. about four months and it was an amazing experience. I it's it's what you know, you go to a lot of foreign countries and surprisingly a number of people around the city in the restaurants, whatever, can speak a bit of English and you can kind of get by, right? In Seoul, we li- we were in a, a, a fancy JW Marriott or something and the staff in that hotel could speak English. But you walk outside that hotel, like literally not one single person could speak English. <laughs> it was, and yet, the most amazing people. And I think that's what I that what I loved about it was that, that they were just really cool people, and I, I I loved it because of that. Yeah, they're they're super high on my list to join, especially now. So I've gotten so much amazing suggestions and feedback to go there. Uh, did you learn any uh, Korean while you were there? It was the funniest thing. If you got you can edit it out, but but so we were we worked in the building that was the tallest building in Seoul. 
and it was 62 floors high and it was yuksam it is um means 62 so they used to call it the yuksam building which was the 62 floor building uh-huh. right and in the hotel they gave us a a like a business card that had the address of the hotel on it in korean and then it had it in english on the other side and but the idea was wherever you were in seoul you could get in a taxi and just give this business card to the taxi driver and he would bring you back to the hotel because i knew you couldn't explain to him where you wanted to go but pam came over and joined me for a couple of weeks while i was there and that that weekend we went to war museum and we had actually the very top floor of that building I was telling you about had a fancy restaurant. So we'd booked, we'd booked dinner at this restaurant. Okay. So we were at the aerospace museum and we went down to the, to the road and we found a taxi and I thought, I've got this. So we tell him where to go. I was going to say Yuxon building, you know? So I said, I, I told, I, was, I kept saying Yuxon building, Yuxon building. And it was like, he, he just didn't get it. And eventually I remembered that I had the business card from <laughs> the, a few floors down, the office that we were in, the, the guy that we were working with, I had his business card and it had the address in Korean. So I, I showed that to him and he said, ah, Yuksan building. And that, <laughs> that yeah. That's totally that, different. That inflection at the end was made all the difference as to whether he understood what I was, what I was saying or not. So it was, I can't remember why I was telling you that story, but it was, it was, it yeah. was a lot of fun. Trust me, my girlfriend's Thai, and she will tell me to say uh, something. I'll repeat it back to her, and then she'll be like, oh, no, yeah. no, so this. So I'm like, that's what I We learned a couple <laughs> of things, you know, good out, good good day, and thank you, and stuff like that. But uh, no, outside of that, not. Well, yeah, they, I, I sometimes that immersion, just like, it, I don't know, I've, I've been to Cuba where it's a similar experience with Spanish, where right. nobody speaks English, and the... I, I love it. I love trying to figure things out and use like charades. And, yeah. And like it, it was in the end. And, it was a lot of, of hand gestures and, <laughs> and stuff as well. But yep. Yeah. Really cool people. All right. Perfect. So thanks for coming on the show, Doug. But what I want to do now is have you give everybody where they can find you, where they can go fight with you on Twitter. If they want to argue with you, okay. uh, all that kind of stuff. What are, what are the best social channels okay, for well, we, low carb so basically USA? It's low carb USA. So it's low carb org is the website. Dot org is important. Mm-hmm. Facebook, low carb USA, Facebook page, Twitter. It's low carb USA, Instagram. It's low carb USA. And as you mentioned, like we don't fight on Twitter, but we do we do promote stuff on Twitter <laughs> and talk about what we're doing. What other platforms are there? That's 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 about it. And support at lowcarbusa.org if uh, you want to ask us something by email. All right, awesome. And maybe we'll have you back on the show after the oh, yeah, uh, after the cool. Boca conference. Yeah, and see how awesome. that went. Well, if you guys, where are you based? We're in Austin, so, so that, huge... the uh, low carb USA was easy for us. Or I'm sorry, not low carb. KetoCon was easy for yeah. us. Low carb USA, and was so hard. Boca would be but, hard as well. But we can, yeah. But we but can, I did you know, maybe you want to go so. back and visit visit family and friends or something. We can we can do a a similar deal for a, a press pass or something if you wanted to do that again. Keep. We'll definitely keep it keep, on the calendar. Keep, we got a we got a chance. Yeah, that we may be mind. able to if send it, somebody. If it works out. That's cool. Um, Appreciate you guys coming on and, and 
being positive in your uh, review of of the event and uh, you know it's always good to have friends i agree so thanks awesome. thanks again for coming on the show